Uncovering History, a podcast of the OI. Welcome to the OI Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Townsend, talking again with Brian Muse. It's summer road trip season coming up. I'm going on three road trips in the next four weeks to a concert, to a live action role play event I helped create, and to a game convention. I'm going to talk to Brian a little bit about road trips today. Segging in from our conversation on uh, Game of Thrones and the OI, uh, one of the books that George R.R. R. Martin recommended was the Dying Earth by Jack Vance. And in reading The Dying Earth in the second book, uh, there's an anti-hero that goes on a road trip named Kugel. As I was uh, reading one of uh, Brian's recent articles in News and Notes, the OI's News and Notes, I uh, thought how similar uh, this anti-hero that I was reading about was to was to Jack Vance's anti-hero Kugel, only he was an anti-hero in the ancient world. Brian, uh, can you tell us a little bit about this article that you wrote, uh, When a Moon's Bad Trip? Among Egyptologists, when a moon is a, a fairly famous story, but I, I wanted to make it uh, sort of talk about the story and make it accessible for non-Egyptologists by sort of explaining what was happening and and the various allude to the various interpretations. Uh, because people have many different ways of understanding when a moon was he was he truly an innocent abroad who just happened to have a lot of bad luck? Was he um, a victim of his own bad choices, or was he uh, perhaps deliberately manipulating the system? I argue that it's a combination of all three. These have all been put forward as, uh, as explanations. What was the purpose of his road trip? What started him off on this on this journey? He's an, he's an ancient Egyptian, right? Yes, uh, he's an ancient Egyptian living um, right after the fall of the New Kingdom. So Egypt no longer has an empire. So And he's being dispatched by the high priest of Amun at Thebes to obtain lumber to rebuild the uh, sacred ship of Amun that will carry the uh, statue of the god on uh, river festivals. In earlier periods, during the New Kingdom, they would have acquired this wood from what is now Lebanon, which was part of the Egyptian empire. At the time of the story, or at least at the time that the story is set, this area is no longer a part of the Egyptian empire. One of the things that happens in the story is that Wenamun keeps using the rhetoric of empire he keeps saying, Amun, the god Amun is your master, therefore it is your duty to provide this timber. And, you know, the people he encounters basically say, sure, show me the money. And you know, there's all kinds of sort of social disconnects there. So one way to read this is sort of uh, when a moon is speaking in the voice of empire and all the people are sort of responding in their sort of post-colonial way of, yeah, right. He's, he's kind of using it like a credit card. He's saying, you know, you'll be rewarded by, by the gods uh, if you give me this stuff. Uh, yeah, there is this. Uh, there is definitely this implication. I mean, he, it's not just an implication. He actually explicitly says, if you make these offerings to the god Amun, the god Amun will reward you with uh, you and your family with long life and prosperity. And this is, of course, again, the rhetoric that one sees inside of Egyptian temples. Uh, there are images of the kings uh, providing offerings to the gods. And the gods are literally shown offering hieroglyphs for life, health, and prosperity to the kings. Uh, they very much saw, you know, the, the practice of offering in temples as this sort of reciprocal relationship. And the kings are asking for these things not just for themselves, but for their entire country. And clearly in Wenamun's uh, mind, uh, foreign rulers can, can make offerings and receive the same benefits. And maybe he believed this. Part of the difficulty with the text is 
trying to decide between a sort of very dry sort of sarcasm and uh, just a sort of innocent statement of beliefs. That's why it's hard to tell. Is, is Wenamun just foolish and naive, or is he using these arguments? When he sees that the local rulers are not buying into his arguments, he uh, changes tact and he says, well, you know, Amun will give you long life, and my rulers will send you money. He's a, a bit of a sophist. Um, at one point, some of his money gets stolen. Oh, and he goes to the ruler of the city and says, can you find who stole it and get it back for me? And the ruler says, um, no, it happened on your boat, so it was outside of my jurisdiction. So uh, Wenamun basically goes, steals money from another boat belonging to the ruler, and says, I'm taking this as temporary compensation until you find my money, because, you know, it's between you and them. When does he get in the worst part of his trip? You know, like when you're on your road trip and you have a flat tire and you're on the side of the road and you're in the middle of the desert. Um, one time we were driving across uh, to Los Angeles and, you know, there's just miles and miles of desert road no gas stations and we got uh in an accident what are we gonna do what where uh what about um Wenamund? what was his what do you think was his darkest moment on this tour through ancient phoenician lands possibly um when he's got his wood getting ready to sail back to egypt with his wood uh, he sees a bunch of uh, ships uh arriving from the, the the town where he stole the money as compensation for the money that had been stolen from him uh, and they demanded that he be handed over and the ruler of that town which he just supplied him the wood said no uh, I, I can't molest him in the harbor but once he's outside of the harbor he's outside of my jurisdiction so he's he's very worried at this point but then a storm comes up and wrecks him and his ship on on the shores of cyprus and then the townspeople come out and they're getting ready to mob him and his crew and everything is looking very bad then of course the ruler of the town who happens to be a woman comes out and says wait spare his life he should spend the night with me and then the papyrus breaks off so it sounds like you know he was in a very bad situation and Maybe it's going to turn better, but he's had many situations which were bad, which turned out better, but then it just sort of replaced or, or followed by another bad situation. It would be fascinating to know how this story continued or ended. Sounds like a uh, ancient Egyptian cliffhanger. Is it possible maybe that the story was never finished or that that's how it ended or there are other copies of it floating around somewhere? Well, we, we only have this one copy and uh, the text doesn't, unlike some texts which literally break off at the cliffhanger, um, that seems to be the, the weakest point in papyri is precisely where where the cliffhanger is for some reason. Um, there's another story for another day, the tale of the doomed prince. Just as this fate is to be revealed, the papyrus breaks off. This one, actually, the text on the papyrus just ends. And there's still room for more text. So my suspicion is when this happens, someone is copying another text, and at a certain point they got bored and just stopped. I mean, a lot of our copies of these texts are, uh, are school copies. One of the ways that people, ancient Egyptians learned to read and write was simply they would be trained to, to copy text. And at the end of this practice, they would have a copy of an important school text uh, for their own library, and they could use to teach their own students. But we have an awful lot of school texts which never finish. I guess some students were just slow or not diligent or they didn't go on to the next level and uh, so we have a lot of texts which just sort of break off and this unfortunately is one of them. Maybe we'll get lucky someday we'll find more of the text in another copy. Um, I, I, that would be wonderful.
I myself have thousands of unfinished short stories, and I hope that you know when they someone finds them someday, they'll say, "Yeah, you know, we, we just like we, we don't know what happened to them. Like we don't know where the other pieces are." They'll they'll have thought that I, I completed them and that they were brilliant, and if they look hard enough, they'll find them. But they just never will. You uh you yourself are going on a road trip, or you just went on a road trip. You just came back from a road trip in in Egypt. Uh, did it share anything in common with Wenamun's trip? Uh, fortunately, it was not quite as uh, fraught as uh, Wenamun's trip, thankfully. Um, it, it was actually very nice. I, I, I made a visit to a small town in Egypt, uh, Nagel Meshek, which is uh, located about 100 miles north of, of Luxor. Um, I basically, I flew to Egypt, arrived in Luxor, stayed for a little while at uh, Chicago House, and uh, then I took a taxi uh, north to, to Nagel Meshek, which was in, in April is a gorgeous time to travel through Egypt. Uh, the, the countryside is lush and green, um, of course, uh, and oftentimes you see the deserts, which are this sort of dun orange, this stark contrast with the, the, the green of the cultivation, and then you have the, the blue of the Nile uh, off to the side. They have the palm trees, shade the roads in many places. It's, 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 it's lovely. It took a long time, though. I mean, even though it's almost 100 miles, it, it took four hours going up there um, because this happens to be the, the sugarcane harvest. Um, they're busy uh, collecting, cutting down the sugarcane and stacking it up on trucks, which are parked along the sides of the roads, or on these uh, light rail, uh, sort of small gauge railway uh, railroads, which sort of snake all around the country leading to uh, sugarcane, sugar refineries. And they have nothing to do with the actual layout of the road system. They just seem to cross it at angles everywhere. So we, we drove for four hours and eventually we uh, arrived at a Meshake. We crossed a one lane bridge over a canal. This town was located at the edge of the fields, uh, right below uh, some steep limestone cliffs at the entrance to a, to a sort of short blind canyon or wadi. And the reason I had come there is I wanted to see the source of the Nagel Meshake Ostraca. Um, Ostraca are uh, basically texts on potsherds or flakes of stone, which are used as uh, a cheaper substitute for papyri in ancient Egypt. Um, so they use all kinds of notes, wrote all kinds of notes and letters and memoranda and even accounts on them. Ironically, the ostraca often survive more uh, better than the papyri themselves, which are organic and can decay. I've been studying these for nearly a decade, the ones, these ostraca from Nagel Meshek, because they are the uh, accounts of a temple. Uh, they record the money and grain accounts of a temple of a lion goddess uh, called Mahit, whose temple was at Nagel Meshek. About 200 of these ostraca are currently known scattered among various museums and libraries in Egypt, Europe, and North America. Most of them were acquired from antiquities dealers at the beginning of the 20th century, and for many years, nobody knew where they came from. A couple of decades ago, a colleague of mine, uh, Professor Ursula Caploni Heckel, noticed that the Ostraca frequently name the lion goddess Mehit, who is also known from inscriptions in tombs at Meshek. A couple of years later, uh, I confirmed this when I went to the Boston Museum of Fine Arts and I found uh, some ostraca excavated at Nagamashek by George Reisner. He excavated them in a tomb there in 1912, and they also mentioned this lion goddess. So that confirms the connection between these ostraca and, and this site. And I also did some research into uh, old traveler's diaries, and I discovered that in the 1880s and 1890s, local uh, antiquities dealers actually had excavated the 
temple of the lion god Mahit at Nagal Mashaik, and that the remains of that temple were visible for many years. Uh, once I had found that, I knew at some point I had to go visit Nagal Mashaik and see the tombs and maybe the remains of the temple uh, where these ostraca had come from for myself, because it's not really uh, on the tourist path. It's, it's a small village well outside the usual tourist uh, areas. So if you put all these ostracca together, what would what do you think they would say? What kind of or what what would they uh, what picture would these paint? What would they make? Well, basically, these ostracca they they have basically they constitute the financial records of the temple uh, treasury and granary. The temple would pay its priests by taking revenue that was given to the temple and transferring it from its general account to the private accounts of the priests. Of course, probably no money or grain or produce is actually moving. It just is moved, accountants move it from one account to another. And then the priests themselves, when they conducted business with each other or with their own subordinates, would often just transfer money or grain to another account, to each other's accounts. And they did so by writing little notes on ostraca saying, um, cause that so much uh, you know, money or grain uh, be given to so-and-so from the account of so-and-so. So these are early, essentially ancient checks and also ancient bank statements. And even the similarity is impre- uh, goes even further because they balance their bank statements every month and every year. They have uh, um, they have running accounts which keep track of all the deposits and the withdrawals. They actually keep, the bank keeps the, uh, or rather the granary and the treasury, keeps these uh, orders for payment as records which, so they can keep these running accounts. And then they balance the accounts at the end of the end of the month. So um, I think this will give us a, a very interesting insight into the way that business was conducted um, with limited amounts of money and or coinage uh, and when various uh, commodities and produce were being used, uh, exchanged. It didn't have to be people carrying sacks of bulky goods to the market. You could do it to simply make the transfers on, on paper or papyrus or ostraca. It's so interesting to think that this whole financial uh, situation in this temple is dedicated to a lion goddess, like that they have a, a real steady commerce uh, for you know for this for this lion goddess. Uh, do we know anything about the lion goddess, or does uh, she have any relation to Bast? Um, so the the lion goddess Mahit, she's closely associated with the sort of with the goddess Tefnut, who is um, associated with the god Onurus. Um, and like many of these lion goddesses, they're, 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 they're sort of, they're associated with the uh, entrances to wadis, the edge, this sort of transition zone from the or- orderly uh, cultivated fields and the deserts beyond. Some people have suggested that uh, when you had flash floods, which occasionally occur in Egypt, uh, even with their dry climate, you occasionally get a flash flood, and it will cause a, a flood in these in these uh, blind canyons, and a, a water will come out to the mouth and create pools and whatnot. And these would attract a desert wildlife to those pools of water, and that's actually um, where you would expect to find lions in Egypt. Uh, of course, there are no lions in Egypt now, but there's some idea that early on in Egyptian history, they did still live in the uh, deserts and come down to these uh, watering areas uh, on in at the edges of the desert. So possibly that is the origin of this uh, particular goddess's uh, temple. 
Thank you so much, Brian, for sharing all of this with us uh, today. Uh, thank you for your time and your knowledge and your expertise. And do you have any, uh, can you tell us about any, do you have any road trips yourself planned this summer? At one point, I need to go look at some material in, 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 in Brooklyn. That'll probably be a plane trip, not a road trip, though. You love a good story. At the OI, we have one of the best. Become a member and join the conversation. For more information, visit oi.uchicago.edu slash member.